Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. All right. Well, Bob, we are on yet another pandemic episode, but I have a little bit of freedom today. The state of Florida has entered into phase one as of today. Restaurants are open for 25% capacity, things like that. I was a little disappointed on my way today. I thought I'm going to go to my favorite coffee shop. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I'm just going to sit down in the coffee shop because I can. And sure enough, they were still only doing curbside and not letting people in. My favorite restaurant on the west side of Jacksonville is a little Cuban-Puerto Rican fusion place called La Bodega. And they've only got three tables in there. And so they said they're going to continue to do curbside because 25% capacity would be like one person. (laughs) Well, you know what this means, Jimbo. It means that all of the Popeye's restaurants in Florida will now have cop cars at them because a fight will surely break out over the same (laughs) chicken sandwich that needs to be received. Absolutely. You only need 25% capacity to start a fight at Popeye's. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Bob, I'm excited. We've got a great guest with us today on the podcast, Dr. Joe McKeever, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine. Before I moved to Jacksonville, I tracked down Joe and talked him into grabbing breakfast with me at McDonald's and just wanted to get his advice on what I was walking into and walking into what I didn't even know was really a replant at the time. Joe shared some great wisdom with me, kept in touch with me. And if you don't know who Joe McKeever is, do yourself a favor and look it up. Joe, tell us just a little bit, kind of give us the 30 second synopsis of your story and who you are. Uh, I'm a pastor, pastored six churches, 42 years. The last church was in the New Orleans area, across the street from New Orleans Airport. And then I was director of missions in New Orleans for five years, and I was there when Katrina came through in 2005. I'm a cartoonist, been a cartoonist for Southern Baptist since probably 50 years or so. And uh, so I'm retired. I've been retired since 2009, live in the Jackson, Mississippi area. I'm married three years now to Bertha, the widow of a seminary classmate of mine. Gary Fagan and I knew each other back in the 60s. We knew each other 50 years. I didn't know his family and he didn't know mine. She was widowed in 14. I was widowed in 15. And a year later, we met for the first time. And we knew that week God had put us together. So we got married in 17, been married three and a half years now. And life is good. Good. Praise God. Well, Joe, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about your experience from Katrina and how that educates you maybe in some insight that we may have in the context that we are currently living in in this pandemic. And so the the crisis itself is one thing, kind of crisis management, but leadership kind of in the quote unquote aftermath of a crisis is really a whole nother kind of leadership. And I wanted to see if you had any insight you could share with us on What is it like to lead in the aftermath of a crisis? You know, the thing about these crises, Jimbo and Bob, is that they don't announce themselves ahead of time. They generally take us by surprise. And uh, I would love, Jimbo, I'd love for anybody who would like to, to go to my website, which is joemcleaver.com, and look at the, the post that I put there this morning. The article I put there this morning is talking about being prepared for that moment in the spotlight when suddenly the world turns toward you and um, now you've got an opportunity to say something. And the background of that, and this is, this is his own personal crisis, is 1999 when the shooter came into Fort Worth's Wedgwood Baptist Church on a Wednesday night. 
They were having a seat at the pole rally that night. And a guy who just kind of randomly selected that church came in and started killing people. And eventually, uh, I think he killed about a half a dozen and wounded a lot of people and then killed himself. Now, the pastor was Dr. Al Meredith, and he was out of town. I think he'd been for his mother's funeral or something. And he gets this phone call that you need to get here. So he's driving, driving. When he got to uh, Fort Worth, got to the church in the middle of the night, the place is just crawling with police and TV trucks and stuff. It's just lit up like the daytime. For the next 24, 36 hours, that pastor was on interview after interview after interview for television programs world and radio programs worldwide. In 2005, I flew to Fort Worth and I was preaching in his church. And uh, Al and his wife picked me up at the airport. And so I was asking him about this. And he said, I didn't know what I was saying. He said, I was so tired. And I said, I did not know him when this happened in 1999. But I said, I sat at home in New Orleans watching you amazed at the wisdom and the dynamic witness for Christ that was coming through. He said, I had to look back at the tapes later to see what did I say. And of course, it's Matthew chapter 10, where the Lord says that when you're put on trial, don't plan in advance what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit's going to take it from there and he will take over. And so I said in the article today, I said, when did Al Meredith prepare for this? And the answer is that morning when he got up and opened the word and recommitted himself to the Lord. That's when he got prepared for this surprise that the day had in store for him. And that's the way it is for all of us. You never know when the world's going to turn towards you and say, what about this crisis that your church is going through? And you just got to depend on the Lord as to what to say and what to do. Okay, now Jimbo, back uh, to Katrina. I have uh, 500 thoughts, 400 stories. So you're going to have to ask me another question if you want me to respond. <laughs> on that. Well, Dr. Joe, something that, that comes to my mind is, you know, obviously none of us are prepared in seminary classes or Bible college classes for a crisis like this. But you talk about the preparation that comes from just a relationship with the Lord. And it, it's not just that morning, but it's, it's years of cultivating that personal relationship. So as a leader who will face some crisis at some point, what are the key, key elements of a, of a leader's relationship with the Lord that you would say, I mean, if you're, if you could speak to our pastors, if you could share with the young, the young men that are listening, what do they need to do to cultivate that maturity with the Lord? Bob, one of the first things that I realized after Katrina hit was that my experiences in my last two pastorates had prepared me for this because both of them had been really tough. I pastored six churches. The toughest were the last two. And I had scars from those two pastorates. And now the last church I pastored, the one in New Orleans, I was there 14 years. The first seven were really the tough years. And then the last seven were great. But I, you know, you know, you know what we, you and I preach that the Lord does not like to waste suffering. And so I realized that all those battle scars and all those things he put me through helped me to, to sympathize and empathize with our pastors who are now, they've lost their churches, they've lost their homes, they've lost their community, and they're coming in here saying, what do I do now? And they were crying, and I was able to cry with them. Well, while we're in evacuation, we were most of us were evacuated from New Orleans for about four weeks. And so I was in North Alabama. Dr. David Crosby was pastor of First Baptist Church of New Orleans, and he and I were on the phone. He was in North Louisiana. He said, Joe, we need to try to get our pastors together. Well, that was a great thought. I don't know why it did not occur to me. And so we put out the word on radios and everything like that. And the following Wednesday, we met at First Baptist Church of Jackson, Mississippi, and had about 20 pastors to show up 
they came in from Oklahoma and different places. Well, they were hugging on each other and crying and, and didn't want to leave. And I realized that these guys need each other. And so one of our pastors uh, had a church that was about 15 miles west of the New Orleans airport. He said, guys, our church did not take any damage. Why don't we start meeting at our church? So thereafter, for the next two years, we met at First Baptist Church of Laplace, Louisiana, every Wednesday from 9 a.m. until noon. And pastors would come. In fact, some of them who didn't have a church or anything like that, they would drive in from Houston, Texas, just to be there at our Wednesday meeting. We'd have 80 and 100 people there. And denominational leaders found out in a heartbeat, if you want to find a pastor, and New Orleans and come to that Wednesday meeting. And uh, one of the best, I heard two things about myself, I have to tell you during those times. One is several people said, Joe, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And the other thing is that one of the pastor's wives said, when we're having that meeting, she said, when you walk into the room, I feel like daddy has arrived. Mm. I love that. I love that because, you know, it just uh, was a matter of trust and everything. But at any rate, that's, that's probably the best, the single best thing we did. We got our pastors together and let them encourage each other and learn from each other. One of the unique things about this crisis versus a hurricane or something like that is there are so many varying polarizing perspectives on what's actually going on and how to handle it. What advice do you have for a local pastor or even for me, because this is existent in my church, that I've got people who are still very afraid, very nervous about coming back at some point, going out in the world. And then I've got just as many church members that are just angry and don't understand why we're not meeting and haven't been meeting and think this is all just an infringement on our rights. And how do you as a pastor, pastor all those different groups of people well leading forward from here? Tell you three things, Jimbo. One, stay on your knees Spend a lot of time every day talking to the Lord, listening to the Lord, waiting on the Lord. Okay, secondly, stay informed. So stay up with what's going on here. And uh, whether it's podcasts like this or reading your paper or anything. And the third thing is stay in touch with other pastors. Find out what they are doing. Learn from them. Share with them. For example, yesterday morning, Sunday morning, I sat here and watched services from First Baptist Church of Alexandria, Virginia. And... Tunbridge Baptist Church in uh, in England, down below London. I preached in that church a couple of times about 30-something years ago. It's a great church. And in both cases, the pastors were there. Of course, they were doing the live streaming, and they were doing some innovative things with media, and I just thought that would be really good. So this morning on Facebook, I put a note there, and I said, if I were a pastor doing live stream, looking for ways to be more interactive and everything, I would go and watch the tapes of First Baptist Alexandria and Tonbridge, T-O-N-B-R-I-D-E-G, Tonbridge Baptist Church in the UK, because they're doing some really great stuff. So you learn from each other. I would stay close to my to my late leadership in the church. Uh, you know, there's some decisions, Jimbo, as a pastor, you have to make by yourself and you can't slough it up on anybody else. But when you're making the decision as to whether to reopen and when to reopen, I would, if I didn't already have some other team in place, I would get me a little leadership group, half a dozen of my best, most mature people. And we would have maybe Zoom meetings just like this, talk about these things. And I'd make sure that whatever we decided, we're going to stand together. And that way, when people start criticizing, as they will, because you're not going to please everybody, then you stand together and you'll be all right. 
Joe, one of the things that I've just admired from your writing and your just how you come across personally through your writing and through your blog and Facebook and those sorts of things is you seem to be constantly evolving and learning and growing. And could you talk about your commitment to that as a, as a leader and how you do that personally? I think I would be afraid of any leader who felt like I know it all and I've got all the answers. As I say, there's a time when a leader has to say, this is it. Here I stand and uh, you know, do a Martin Luther. But most of us aren't that way. And I admire the leader who is humble enough to say, guys, I'm still trying to figure this out. And uh, so you're reading all the time. I read widely, Bob. Uh, in fact, I'm looking right now at uh, a couple of books over here written during the Second World War. One of them is a journal from a German woman, a Christian woman, who wrote every day about what was going on in Germany during the war. Godly woman and not supportive of the Nazis at all, but it's so fascinating to get this perspective and of the good people she knew who were conscript, conscripted, drafted into the army and went out and had to fight as a Nazi because here we are in this country, you know, damning them all and everything. And yet there were some great people, the same way we sent out our fine young men and Anyway, so you learn from these things. So always trying to learn and always listening. One of the things I think about more now that we've gone through this shelter at home for a little more than a month is that what we have experienced in just a taste of is a reality on a regular basis for so many of our shut-ins, feeling so isolated and not able to leave the house and at home. And I know it's, it's driven me nuts to have to stay home as much as I have. And so it's really increased my desire to serve our shut-ins better than we have been. I would assume others feel the same way. Uh, If not, I hope that this has made you think about that. Joe, what are some ways that we can continue post this pandemic and even in the midst of it right now to safely and wisely serve and love on those of our members that are shut in or or even close to that elderly enough that getting out is, is a struggle and they may not be able to return whenever we open back up. Uh, one of the best things that's happened these days, I hear from a lot of people, is that people have heard from their pastors more since you know the, the sheltering in place has happened than they ever have in their lives. That's a very good thing. One of the New Orleans area churches, uh, I've been in touch with some of them, and they said that their new young pastor is actually in another state with his family. But he's got the deacons looking after their groups of people and everything. And I said to him, I said to the chairman of the deacons the other day, "Uh, that's really good, but I I think I would make sure that this young pastor was also picking up the phone himself and talking to his church members. There's no issue for them. So, and another thing, I always recommend people write notes, handwritten notes. You know, nobody gets mailed any day. I do. <laughs> but uh, not, most people don't get handwritten letters. And if you'll sit down and write a good one to somebody, it doesn't have to be three pages. It can be one page with four sentences. But you make it good. They'll keep it forever. And it's a great way for a pastor to connect with people. I don't know why a lot more pastors aren't doing that. Of course, I'm cartoonist. And I tell people that the great, one of the great things about being a cartoonist is you send somebody a note, like I did Jimbo the other day, and they frame it. It's kind of a fun thing to do. Joe, we look at regathering those first few Sundays back together, what are some of the most important things a leader can do when the church is physically present once again? 
stay informed, keep up with what's being required locally, stay close to your lay leadership, make sure you're all on the same team. And if you are, I have to tell you a little story. Uh, after Katrina, uh, Todd Hallman was pastor of First Baptist Church of Luling, Louisiana, which is across the river on the west side of the New Orleans area. And when I got back from evacuation, I, I'm director of missions here. So I'm visiting all the churches to see who's operating, who's not. So I went over there and Todd, his church was, it was a beehive of activity. They had turned their fellowship hall into a distribution center, just boxes of supplies that people all over the country had sent to them. And Todd's church members were working there and they were taking you know, church people coming in, applying for and receiving help. So Todd told me this little story. He said one of his deacons came in and said to Todd, who gave you the authority to do this? <laughs> and Todd said, nobody. It was a no-brainer. No I just love that. It was a no-brainer. And he was right. Sometimes you cannot wait to take a poll. What should I do? You do it. But when, you're, when the people are so divided on this, and boy, they are, then I think you really need to stay close to your lay leadership, your key leadership. Don't wait until everybody's happy. You know, the recipe for misery as a pastor is trying to please everybody. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. So you talked about how that was a no-brainer, and one of the good things you've seen come out of this is church members are hearing from their pastors one-on-one, maybe more than they ever were before. What are some other really great things you're seeing come out of this that may should continue or or grow once we're even regathering? You know, we in this country, Jimbo, we have been so, we've been lulled to sleep by our churches being a center of the activity in a lot of towns and, uh, and all the freedoms that we have. No persecution, no oppression, no negativity. Suddenly we find that we're in the midst of a crisis and uh, people all over the world are in this crisis. Not just us. We're not just praying for America. We're praying for the world and its leadership. And so uh, I think a lot of people in the world are still looking at at America and say, welcome to the club, guys. We've been suffering for years, and now you finally get to see what it's like. I always think of Amos saying, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Guys, we have been at ease in Zion. And maybe, just maybe, Jimbo, that's not going to happen anymore. I guarantee you there are going to be changes in how we do church. And uh, and what are those changes? I don't really know all the answers, but I'll tell you this. The longer this crisis goes on, the more radical will be the changes. If, if a crisis were to go away today, then a lot of churches would go right back to business as usual. When we were meeting in evacuation, I mean, when we were meeting in New Orleans for these weekly pastors meetings, and a lot of our churches were not meeting because they didn't have a neighborhood. And I said to the pastors, when you start back with services, guys, if there was ever something, if there's ever a program in your church you wanted to end, well, don't restart it. Uh, the hurricane has ended it. But if there's ever a program you have wanted to begin, now's the time to do it. And I regret to say that some went back to business as usual. But for the most part, they didn't. All right, the last question I have for you is our primary audience is guys in replants or revitalizations, which is going to constitute mostly smaller churches. And many of them are taking a pretty big financial hit on this. There's definitely a lot of momentum lost here for a lot of guys, especially those that weren't already kind of ready to run online. Uh, Some of them have not. 
And I know many pastors are very concerned uh, about the viability of their congregation on the other side of this. What, what words would you share with those guys? That's a very legitimate thing. This is not fear. It is not an irrational fear. It is a legitimate concern. I assume most of the guys you're talking about are probably about bivocational. They probably have some sort of a job. And so hopefully you'll be able to um, provide for yourself and your family, either now or later as jobs are reopening. But some of, some of these pastors, I think Jimbo just has to start from scratch, go back to, go back to the starting gate and say, okay, uh, you know, I have a friend in Chicago who is right inner city there, and uh, I don't know what they're doing right now. I send him some help occasionally. That's one of the things, by the way, one of the things I encourage people to do. And that is if you know of somebody who is dependent on uh, offerings for his income and those are down, send him some money. Um, we enjoyed doing that with our check. You know, it came from the government the other day. And um, an evangelist, a church plant, uh, some people working with Muslims in Texas and things like this. So help them as the Lord gives you opportunity. You know, my the big thing about leadership in crisis, Jimbo, is that this is really where leadership earns the right to be called leadership. Anybody can lead a group that was going that way anyway. But when when the world is coming apart at the seams and you step up and say, this is the way, let's get this done. Then you're a leader. I'm going to give you a, a scripture, Judges chapter 5 and verse 2. This is after Deborah wins the great victory, you know, and, and uh, Israel over the, whoever it was, Chaldeans and somebody. And uh, the song of Deborah is Judges chapter 5 and verse 2 says that the leaders led in Israel and that the people volunteered. Oh, bless the Lord. Well, that's a pretty good arrangement. When you have leaders leading and you got People volunteering, you can get things done. Now, you and I have seen it where leaders are leading, but nobody is stepping up. So they, the old joke is, if you're trying to lead, nobody's following, you're just taking a walk. Well, and we've seen it where people are volunteering, but nobody's leading and nothing gets done. And worst of all, it's where nobody's leading and nobody's volunteering, and we call those churches dead. Mm. But when the leaders are stepping out and the people are, step, people are stepping up, that's when it gets done. That's great. I think some of the main highlights that I've picked up today that I wrote down is as you're leading through and on the other side of this uh, this crisis, it's really important to put an emphasis on your personal relationship with the Lord, that you you will find your best wisdom from your time in the Word of God, staying on your knees, staying informed with good information, staying in touch with other pastors reopening and all the aspects that come with that are not decisions you have to make by yourself. You can make that in council with other pastors. You can make that in council with lay leaders in your church, and you should. Uh, you shouldn't carry that burden on your own shoulders by yourself, but lean heavily on the Lord and lead well in this time. It may be hard, but continue to lead well. Any last parting thoughts, Dr. Joe? Yeah, don't try to do this by yourself. I always, uh, I, when I'm talking to young pastor, I mean, to pastors of, the, well, your group, I, when I have opportunity, I tell them, please go to my website. It's joemckeever.com. I've been doing this website for over 15 years. There are literally thousands of articles there, and this is written for pastors and church leaders. And if you'll scroll down the page, there's a list of categories. Click on the category you're interested in, and it'll bring up every article on that subject. And uh, 
and, and it's all free and anything you want, feel free to use it. I think you'll find some help there. So I would love for people to do that, Jimbo. I appreciate that. No, I think that's great. It's been a wealth of help for me, I know, and uh, shared that with others as well. All right. Thanks, guys. Stay safe, stay sanitized, continue to lead well and follow what the Lord has for you. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.